0: It's so great to be with Pastors Buddy and Gay and to be back in your church. I've been here, but it's been, it's been several years. And it's just so exciting to see over the years how, Gay, uh, how God has blessed Pastors Gay and Buddy and uh, your worship leader, Jody, and just the whole staff. And it's just, wow, I stand in awe at the wonderful things he does in and through this church. Well, it was about 100 years ago. That I was a youth pastor. (laughs) And uh, one night I approached our youth group and I announced tonight we're having a good, better, best adventure. They didn't know what that was. Maybe you don't either. Maybe some of you have heard it. So I had to explain the rules. I said, okay. uh, I've already divided you up into teams. Every team had a few adult leaders. And I said, I'm giving every team a brand new quarter. Now, a hundred years ago, a quarter could have bought something, right? A quarter was a big deal a hundred years ago. So every team got a brand new quarter. And I said, now, you have 45 minutes, that's all, to go anywhere that you want to go. Probably most of you will want to go to homes, but you can go to stores. You can go to anywhere you want. And you trade in the quarter and get something bigger and better okay and then once you have something bigger and better go trade that off and get something else bigger and better then go trade that off and get something else bigger and better until you have what you think is the biggest bestest coolest biggest thing that you can bring back to youth group you only have 45 minutes and you can't add any money to the quarter a quarter is all you have to start out with go so you can imagine can't you as our students are knocking on doors throughout the community. Yeah, it's a good, better, best adventure. And we only have 45 minutes and here's a brand new quarter, but we want to give it to you, but we have to have something bigger and better in return. So if we give you this quarter, um, can you give us something back that's bigger and better? You you know, don't you, that this is every man's magical opportunity to give away something his wife has bought for him that he's not going to wear in a million years. (laughs) And so one team was, yeah. And he goes, yeah. I do have something. My wife purchased me tube socks. No one's worn tube socks in about three or four decades and I'm not going to wear them. And they're still unopened in the package. Three pairs of brand new tube socks. So guess guess what? I'll take the quarter. You take the tube socks. Thank you sir. That's a lot better than a quarter. Thank you. And they go on to another house. Yeah, it's a good better, best thing. And uh, if we give you these tube socks, can you give us something else that's bigger and that's better? Um, You know, I've been looking for a pair of tube socks. Can't find them anywhere. And you know, I love to do yard work love to work out in the lawn uh, with my legs covered. I, I don't want to wear long pants. I like to wear shorts but I like my my uh, to my ankles to my knees covered so tube socks would be perfect for me. Yes, give me the tube socks. Give me the tube socks. No, no we can't just give them to you. We have to have you give us something that's bigger and better. Okay, well let's see. Um, my wife Margaret bakes from scratch and she just happened to pull a freshly baked batch of brownies right out of the oven. She's just now icing them and the icing is just Dripping all over the brownies. Will that work? <laughs> that is so much bigger and better. Thank you. And they go to another house. Yeah, uh, you know your neighbor, Margaret. She bakes from scratch. Oh, I know. And well, she just pulled this freshly baked batch of brownies right out of the oven. And we're on a good, better, best adventure. And if we give you the brownies, do you have something bigger and better that you could give us in return? You know I do. I do. And, and I'll, I'll do just about anything for Margaret's brownies. And, and just hang on, I'm going to get them. And she came back with a box, and she's Chewbox. And she said it was just two. Weeks ago, I bought these pair of brand new Nikes. She goes, I was in a hurry, I didn't try them on, lost the receipt, they won't return them, and they're too small. So I'm going to give you this over a hundred dollar pair of Nikes. Give me the brownies, and no one gets hurt. so you can imagine can't you at the end of 45 minutes the stuff that came back to our youth group I mean everything from A to Z birthday cakes brand new pieces of clothing with the tags still on them but the biggest the bestest that came back the group that won brought back a cougar now I'm not talking about an older woman I'm talking about a mega-pound, four-footed, furry beast. It was a cougar. A team comes in with a little rope around and a collar, bringing this, leading this cougar into the youth room. And I'm going, what? And they go, Susie, isn't she beautiful? Her name is Cassidy, and her owner said that she's pretty tame. Pretty tame? Yeah, and she's really old, Susie, and she's going blind, and she can't hear at all, and he's thinking in a couple of months he's going to have to put her down so he said that we could just go ahead and have her isn't that awesome she can be our youth group mascot I'm going no we don't have insurance to cover a cougar on church property Cassidy goes back, but you have won the good, better, best adventure. (laughs) Good, better, best. Started out good. A quarter is pretty good. At least it was 100 years ago. And then it quickly escalated to better. Ooh, brownies. That's pretty good. And then it ended with the best, even beyond what we could have imagined coming back to youth group. (laughs) Well, I want you to know this morning, my friends, that God wants to involve you in a good, better, best adventure. Did you know that this morning, Sunday morning, he's inviting you to be a part to participate in a good, better, best adventure. And it's all founded, it's all based on a scripture that you're very familiar with. I have come. John 10:10, 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. Or some versions, I have come so that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. That's the good, better, best adventure that God wants to involve you in. Now, he could have just said, I have come. Well, that's good. I mean, that's a full sentence. We have a subject, a noun. We have, we have a, a period at the end. I have come. Those three words. That's a complete sentence. He could have stopped there. But you and I serve a God of extravagance. He never just stops when he's done enough. He goes on and on and on, and he gives and loves and lives and forgives in extravagance. I have come. He could have stopped there. Thank you for coming. Thank you for leaving the grandiose and perfection of heaven. Thank you for choosing to invade my world with your presence, with your love, with your forgiveness. Thank you for coming. That's good. That is really good. Unfortunately, some of us stop there. I have come. That's good. I come to church. I know a lot about God. And I love being in this amazing atmosphere. It's good. It's really good. And look around you, it is. Amazing praise and worship. A staff who loves you and prays for you. Oh, this is good. But it's not the best. Let me give you a true story example. It was the early 1900s. Edwin was nine years old and he heard the circus was coming to town his dad overheard Edwin talking to his friend are you going to the circus are you going to the- oh no we don't have enough money to go to the circus it costs a whole dollar our family doesn't have that kind of money and they didn't and Edwin's father's heart sank when he heard his son say that he said to himself oh I wish I could earn the money that it would take to send him to the circus what a great fun memory that would be for him well down at the postal office he noticed a, a help wanted sign at a ranch in a nearby county and he thought you know if I took that part-time job, and I worked the next few Saturdays, I think I could earn the dollar that would be necessary to let Edwin go to the circus. So unbeknownst to Edwin, that's exactly what Dad did. And on the day of the circus, Edwin had the sheet pulled over his head, and he was fast asleep. It was Saturday morning. His dad went in and pulled the sheet over and often woke him up. Edwin, today's the day that the circus comes to town. Oh, I know, Dad, but I can't go. We don't have the money. And he pulled the sheet back over his head. And his dad said, No, son, you're going to the circus. You know, I've been gone the last few Saturdays. I wanted it to be a surprise. I've been working as a ranch hand out in uh, in another county, and I've earned the money that it will take to send you to the circus. Edwin leapt out of bed. What? Are you kidding me, Dad? You mean I'm going to the circus? Yes, you are, son. Hurry and get dressed. Edwin threw on his clothes, and then his dad gave him that crisp dollar bill. Edwin, I've worked hard for this. You take it and put it in your pocket, and don't lose it and have a great time at the circus. It seemed like Edwin's feet didn't even even touch the ground. It seemed like he just flew to the outskirts of town where the circus was coming in. And Edwin saw the crowd. He made his way through the crowd and there it came, the oncoming spectacle of the circus train. And the very first caged train boxcar. through the bars he saw the lions. And the next car, the tigers. Growling. And oh, he stood in amazement. And then after that, he saw a man walking with an elephant outside, uh, along beside the train. He he saw a man walking with an elephant. Edwin had never seen an animal that massive before. He'd never been this close to an elephant. He'd only seen pictures of them. And then after that he saw the little people coming and they were blowing the trumpets and clanging the cymbals. And they had brightly colored balloons. Edwin had never seen these kind of balloons. They had helium in them. And he couldn't figure out how they just kept flying and soaring into the sky. Every color of the rainbow were in those balloons. And then after that, Edwin saw the, the traditional circus clown. He he had on the red nose and the big bright blue wig and shoes that were too big for his feet. Then he came bringing up the rear of the circus train and right when he got even with Edwin, Edwin just laughed with glee. He reached into his pocket and he pulled out the dollar bill and the clown winked and took the dollar bill and put it in his pocket and then he continued on with the circus train. Edwin flew home and he told his family about everything he had seen. The animals, the brightly colored balloons, the circus clown, the clanging cymbals in the trumpets but there was one problem Edwin thought he had seen the circus oh it was good it was so good but he didn't know that was just the oncoming parade he didn't know the circus wouldn't be for another half hour oh if he had just known he would have seen something much better he would have seen the best you see his little mind wouldn't even be able to comprehend trapeze artists flying through the air He wouldn't be able to comprehend that giant elephant sitting on a small little stool in an arena. He wouldn't have been able to imagine how that lion would jump through a hoop of blazing fire. He missed the circus because though what he saw was good, he thought that it was the best. And that's exactly where we sometimes tend to fall. As Christians, I have come. Yay, that is so good. Thank you, God, for coming. And I love being here. And we think that we've experienced all that we have that God wants to offer, but we haven't. We're just experiencing what's good. And it's good, but he has so much more to offer us. Jesus, uh, well, uh, let me put it this way. I I want you to think, I want to challenge you to stretch your minds, and I want you to think of all of Christianity under the umbrella of the words PARTY, with capital letters. Really, Christianity is a giant celebration, isn't it? So think capital letters, P-A-R-T-Y, PARTY, and underneath that umbrella, that's all that has to do with Christianity. So this church service would be in that underneath that umbrella and small groups and praise and worship, a Christian concert, Bible studies, um, all, revival services, ch- Christian camp, summer camp, teen retreats, all those trunk or tree, all these neat, wonderful things are under this umbrella labeled party. And you're at the party right now. You've come into the party and you like coming to the party. In that we call church. Oh, it feels good to be here at the party. And you love being here because you love the party atmosphere. You love the music, the praise. the word. How can it get better than this with Jody on the keyboard and with the others that you had up here? I don't know their names yet, but how does it get much better than that? And you also love the party favors that this church or this party has to offer. You love it when somebody shakes your hand, makes you feel good. When somebody puts their arm around your shoulders, oh, it's so good to see you today. You love how that feels. You love it when somebody uh, steps up and they, they give you a good message. Oh, that felt good today. It feels good. You enjoy the party favors. Let's compare that to a Hershey's candy bar. Mmm, Yum, 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 yum. yum. That is pure chocolate. I love coming to this party at Salem Fields Community because it is so good. It is pure chocolate. That's how good it is. And so we can compare for a few minutes, use your imagination, Christianity to this. I enjoy coming to this party, this church, because I love the party favors. The music, the praise, the testimony, the sharing, g- greeting me, p- p- patting me on the back, shaking my hands. I love the way it makes me feel. I love the way it tastes. It is very good. But if we stop with just good, we're selling ourselves short. We're selling God short because he has so much more to offer. He didn't simply say I have come, period. He said because he's an extravagant God. I have come that they may have life. Oh, that is so much better. I have come that they may have life. Now that is so much better than just I have come. I mean, I have come, well, you know, that was good, right? And we thought, oh my, how could it get better than this? But once we discovered by coming at the party that there was something better involved, how would we ever go back to good? You see, when we're experiencing good, we leave the party, you walk out of the church still feeling a little empty. Oh, that was really good. But there's a void in our lives because we yearn to know who's behind that party, Who put on that party? I want to know more. And we keep coming to the party and we realize, oh my goodness, it's Jesus. And I can have a genuine, growing, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. I want that. And so we enter into a relationship with Jesus. We ask him to forgive our sins. And he does. And that is so much better than simply settling for good. But Jesus didn't stop there either. Unfortunately, many of us do. i would come. Thank you for coming. That you may have life. Thank you. You forgave my sins. And we have a relationship now. And we stop there. Jesus didn't stop there. But many of us do. We've moved on from good. And we're in the better phase. And this is where many Christians worldwide, settle into, and get really comfortable. Oh, this is this is better. Oh, this is so much better. Let me give you a true story example. Several years ago, it was an elderly couple living in Northern California. They had always wanted to go on a cruise. <laughs> and so they saved up their money for years. They finally had enough, and they bought the tickets, and they were going on the cruise. Well, she packed her suitcase, and, and her husband packed his, and then they packed a suitcase between them, and filled it with non-perishable food items. Cans of tuna and crackers and, and peanut butter. So that any time uh, it was meal time, they would go to their room and they would open the suitcase and eat this food. <laughs> See, they didn't realize on a cruise, you know you get—you know that, don't you? On a cruise, you get all the food that you it's all provided for in the cost of your ticket. And so every time it was time to eat, they would go up to their cabin and they would eat out of this suitcase all the non-perishable food that they had brought with them. But on the very last day of the cruise, <laughs> they saw a couple in the hallway. And that couple was carrying a boatload of food back to their room. And this elderly couple that were on the cruise, they said to each other, you know what, we have done so well all week, let's go ahead and splurge. It's the last day. Let's buy our food. Let's go up to the deck or wherever it is that they serve those fancy meals. And so they asked the couple, where, "Where did you get that food? Where do we where do we go to?" Well, it's it's on deck nine, as it has been all all week. The the buffet you can get all you want, and and you really could. I mean, steak and chicken and baked potatoes and mashed potatoes and ham and turkey. And am I making you hungry yet? And all the stuff that you can imagine. And for desserts, cookies and pies and cakes and ice cream. And well, you know, the pizza place is always open. That's like a, a fifth hour thing and the ice cream machine is a 24 hour thing and of course the drinks are unlimited and, and, and they said well okay that's, that's what we want we want that buffet line now how much does that cost what, what, are you kidding me what, what do you mean how much does it cost no we, we want to pay how much does it cost well that's been included in your price when you paid for the cruise you paid for all this food <gasps> no we didn't know that wow really Then I'm guessing you didn't know anything about the midnight buffets either. (gasps) Oh, no. And you didn't know about the midweek all-chocolate midnight buffet? No, get out. (laughs) And you probably didn't know that room service is free? Oh, no. Now, what they had was better than good. It was better. I mean, here they were traveling. They were in the Caribbean for crying out loud. Can it get much better than that? They were certainly experiencing better, but they could have had so much more. They could have had unlimited whatever they wanted the entire seven days, but they just didn't know it was available. Again, that's where a lot of us fall. I have come. Thank you. Thank you for coming, for dying for my sins. I believe that. I have an intellectual knowledge. You really are the son of God, Jesus. You're the Messiah. You are who you claim to be. And you did die on a cross for my sins, and you did raise yourself. I believe all that. That's good. And I like coming and talking about it and celebrating it. Love the party favors. How does it get better than pure chocolate? But then when we keep coming to the party and we realize, wait a minute, I can actually know him. Oh, that's so much better. Getting to know him and having a relationship is so much better than just knowing about him. And we realize, wow, that is so much better. But Jesus still wants so much more for us. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. Oh, my goodness. Now that is the best this is abundant life <laughs> I have come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly this is the kind of God you serve a God of extravagance again a God who loves and lives and gives and forgives and moves and breathes in extravagance he never goes part way he never just goes the extra mile He gives his life and he keeps on giving now this is a this I I googled world's largest candy bar and this is what popped up (laughs) so I bought it I got it from the uh, Hershey's store in Hershey Pennsylvania five pounds of solid chocolate that's heavy five pounds of solid chocolate Wow Susie I didn't even know that that there was a candy bar that big I didn't either but the Bible says seek and you shall find So I sought for it, and I found it. This is the abundant life. And once you've experienced abundant life, life filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, you will never want to go back to what is better. And you would certainly never go back to what is certainly simply just good. God has come. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life, and they may experience it to the full. What does it mean Abundant life, what does, that really, what does that really mean? First of all, don't settle for mediocrity. Don't be content settling for second best, for something that's simply better. Do you want the abundant life that Jesus has promised if you do, then he wants to give it for you. He wants to give that to you. So let's just take this scripture quickly and let's just break it apart. Unpack it rapidly. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. Okay? I, king of kings, lord of lords, the creator of the universe, the A to Z, the alpha and the omega, the son of God, the Messiah, the Messiah. Jesus, that's who we're talking about. We've got that. We have that. Yes, I have come. That's in the present perfect tense, as in have come. Joy is the world. joy to the world. He is come. He is come. Present perfect tense. In other words, here, right now, real time, as we're speaking, meeting together, it's happening right now. I have come. That they, that's you and that's me, undeserving as we are, unmerited, faltering and failing, I have come that they May have. Oh, may have means that there's possibility. Those words, may have. There's potential packed into those two words. And you know that we don't walk with Jesus very long before possibility turns into reality. I have come that they may have life. Oh, thank you that I can breathe. Thank you that I exist. Thank you that I can eat and sleep and I can wake up and I can walk. Thank you. I have come that they may have life and There's more. (laughs) There's more than just eating and breathing and moving and working and sleeping and going about my everyday life. Yes, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Yes, that's abundant life. That's life to the max. Life brimming over. Life more and better than we can comprehend. It means life experiencing all the fruit of the Spirit. Joy, peace, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Thank you, God, that I get all of that. And not only that, I get you, your very spirit inside of me, packed with supernatural power, wow, that's abundant life, that's what I want, that's how I want to live my life, and that's how God wants you to live your lives, that's the good, better, best adventure that he wants to involve you in this morning, oh, oh my goodness, well, Susie, really, what is abundant life, I mean, you kind of explained it with the fruit of the spirit brimming over to the max, yeah, but can we break it down even more, well, yes, we can abundant life can be described in many ways, but may I give you a description that God gave me a few years ago. In 2009, for the past 20 years, I thought I had the dream job. I worked for a place called Focus in the Family in the beautiful Rocky Mountains of Colorado Springs, Colorado. Oh, it was gorgeous. The weather was gorgeous. The mountains were beautiful. Had a great place to work. I had created a magazine for teen girls called Brio. And then through that magazine, I got to create mission trips and mother-daughter cruises and just, oh, it was just a wonderful ministry. Had a great group of ladies that I worked with and it was fun to go to work every day. But then in 2009, everything folded because of the economy, Focus and the family made the difficult decision to discontinue all their teen magazines and they released our staff. Now I had already been speaking uh, for several years, a couple of times a month, and I had been wondering the previous three years Father, what, would you ever let me just speak full time? Because even though I love my job and it's a dream job, you know my heart's desire is just to speak. I would love to just open up your word all the time Time to people. Would there ever be a chance I could ever do that now? In January of 2009, God was saying, yeah, now's the time. <laughs> wow, thank you. But with the thank you and the wow came also a little bit of fear and anticipation because, hey, there are a lot of churches now that don't have the money to bring in a special speaker, or maybe they don't have revivals anymore. And so I looked at my calendar, and I only had a few speaking engagements already lined out for that year. That would not be enough to make a living on. And so, of course, I began praying and made up some flyers and just gave it to God and mailed out the flyers, and and speaking engagements began coming in. But I would still need it to be a full-time living. And, And it's then when God taught me about abundant life. There were times I would open the refrigerator. I love milk. There were times I would open the refrigerator and, and I, I'd only have maybe this much milk left. And my heart would sink and I'd think, man, I'm going to have to wait another week before I, before I buy more milk. I just don't have the money to do that yet. And God said, but Susie, regardless of how much milk you have, you can still have abundant life. Susie, I want you to know that abundant life is experiencing the fullness of me regardless of your situation. Let me repeat that. Abundant life is experiencing the fullness of God regardless of your situation. So no matter how much money is in the checking account, but God, how will I make next month's house payment? Susie, regardless of that, regardless of how many dates are or are not on your calendar, how much milk is in your, in your refrigerator or not, you still get all of me in spite of all this. Yes, that is abundant life. Thank you in the midst of doubt and uncertainty. Thank you in the time of fear and confusion and wondering why and not understanding that I still get all of you. I still get abundant life. Wow. Now, as we move toward concluding this, Let me reintroduce you to someone, and I say reintroduce because I think you've already met him through scripture, to someone who really experienced abundant life, but it was in the least, uh, it was in the worst imaginable places possible. His name was John the Baptist. You already know him, don't you? Chances are you would smell him before you see him. <laughs> he, he, uh, he didn't wear the right clothes, and uh, he didn't fit into society's rules or expectations. And uh, he ate weird things. Uh, he ate bugs and stuff. And chances are, if you were to strike up a conversation with him, you might still see the leg of a grasshopper twitching between his two front teeth. <laughs> But we're going, to enter, we're going to meet John the Baptist. To do that, we enter into Matthew 11. And as we journey into Matthew 11, we see that John the Baptist has been in prison for about a year. Now, this isn't a nice prison. It's not a prison with a concrete floor. It's a dungeon. It's a damp, dark dungeon. And he's he's in there with, I'm guessing, some rats who are gnawing at his skin. He probably has open wounds on his legs and his feet and his toes where the rats have bitten and they're gnawing at open sores and flesh. He may be in shackles. It's a difficult situation. He's been there for about a year. And why is he there? Well, because he told King Herod that he was living in sin. What was Herod doing? He was sleeping with his brother's wife. And so John the Baptist didn't mince words. He didn't say, you know what, you shouldn't be doing that. He didn't say, oh, that's a mistake. He said, you know what? You're living in sin. And God's wrath will be upon you, Herod. And Herod didn't like that. No one likes to be, have their toes stepped on or be told what to do, especially when you're a king. So the king slammed him in the dungeon. And now a year has passed as we approach Matthew 11 and we reconnect with John the Baptist. About a year has gone by. It's been tough to be in prison for about a year. It's tough to be in a dungeon. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you've been in a dungeon. Maybe it hasn't been a physical dungeon with bars, but you know all about what it means to be in an emotional dungeon. You know all about what it means to be in a place where you question the events of your life and you wonder, how did I end up here? My life wasn't supposed to turn out like this. And he's been there, and it's tough, and he's he's going through the doubts in his mind, and something begins to burn on the inside of John. Something begins to twist and turn and burn inside of him. It's a nagging question. Even though he'd heard all about Jesus' ministry around Galilee, he hadn't been able to experience it firsthand. And so he's beginning to wonder, is Jesus really the one? Or should I keep searching for another? And so he sends two of his disciples. Go find Jesus and ask him those questions. Are you the one or should we look for another? Now before we come down too hard on John. John, how could you question? How could you doubt? Come on, Jesus is your cousin. You grew up with him. You had family reunions together. Come on, how can you doubt? You're the forerunner. You've been making the path straight. Before we come down too hard on him, let's remember again. A year is a long time to be in a dungeon to be wrapped with doubt. This is a wilderness man. He's used to having the stars for a ceiling and a rock for a pillow. He's used to having no space around him, just open space and not limited. And so something had to be playing with his psyche as well as just his own personal doubt and confusion. Now, there was a time John did know. Oh, he knew that he knew that he knew that he knew Jesus was the one. And as he's in this dungeon, he's remembering. He's flashing back. Oh, yeah, the time. I knew. You you know John was the forerunner. His purpose was to straighten out the paths for the Messiah Jesus when he came. And John's remembering, yes, how he preached in the wilderness and how multitudes had flocked to see him and to hear him. And why? Why had they come in such great numbers Well, you'll remember that as we close the last page of the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, and before we open the first page of Matthew in the New Testament, there's a period of 400 years of silence. Not a word from God. Not a prophet had been risen up. God was just silent. For 100 years. And so the people are hungry. They're yearning to hear from God. Oh, they want to know the truth from God. And so when they hear there's a prophet, he's out in the wilderness and he's preaching the truth. He's talking about the Messiah, the Son of God. Of course they wanted to go see him and hear him. But it was an effort to get to John. I mean, these people really had to make... An effort. They couldn't just walk into a beautiful place like this. His name wasn't on a marquee. He wasn't scheduled at 9 o'clock and at 11 o'clock. John the Baptist will be speaking on Sunday morning. He was just out in the wilderness somewhere, eating the bugs, doing what God had called him to do. And, well, he's pretty ripe. You're going to smell him before you see him. And of all things, he had his, his home or his quarters about 1,500 feet below sea level. And so they had to walk all the way out of their towns and into the wilderness seeking this guy. And they found him, multitudes. And John is preaching up a storm. He's doing what God has called him to do. He's straightening the paths. He's talking about the coming Messiah. And he's remembering, oh yeah, I knew he was the one. How they came and how they responded. Not all of them, but many of them repented of their sins. That means they actually walked away from a sinful lifestyle and accepted Jesus as Lord. And I want to ask him to forgive my sins. And they did. And they did what Jews don't normally do. They came forward and asked John to baptize him. And them, and so here he is in the Jordan River. Oh, John remembers it well. He's flashing back as he's in the dungeon, one by one, baptizing the Jews in the Jordan River, and then out of the corner of his eye, he sees the form of Jesus approaching, and John bringing his hand out of the water, still dripping wet. He focuses on him, the Messiah. He points with his his. Bony finger, and with his burly voice, he begins to shout, Son of God, the Lamb, there he is. There's the one that I've been telling you about. It's Jesus, it's the Son of God. He's the one who will forgive your sins. Stop looking at me. Look, focus on him. It's Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus comes up to John, John, you need to baptize me. Oh no, I can't do that, Lord. I'm not even fit to untie your sandal. John, just do it. It needs to be done. So John quickly baptizes Jesus, doing what he needs to do. And then John remembers. He hears the voice of God. And he sees the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, light on Jesus' shoulder. And he hears God say, this is him. God affirming, this is my son. Yes, this is Jesus. He's the Messiah. Listen to him. Watch him. Mimic him. Imitate him. Carefully grasp everything that he says. Oh, John remembered it so well. He knew then that Jesus was the one. Maybe there's been a time that you knew. But somehow you found yourself in a dungeon. My life wasn't supposed to turn out like this. And some questions have risen. You've begun wrestling with some doubts. And maybe you have some questions. You're not experiencing the abundant life that God wants to give you. What you have is, it's okay. Maybe it's even good. Maybe it's even better. But it's certainly not the best. And so John sends two of his disciples, again, go into the city and find him. And when you do, ask him those two questions. Are you the one, Jesus, or should we look for another? Now, these two disciples were eager. They were eager to please their their teacher, John. They didn't really know where Jesus was. They just knew that that he would be about his father's business. They knew that he would be somewhere in the cities. They just knew if if we find a crowd, we'll find Jesus because Jesus always attracted a crowd. I think the same is true today. church strategy here if we'll just lift up jesus the crowds will come do we really need all the latest whatever if we just lift up jesus they'll come that's what your church has done over the years your church has lifted up jesus and you have come because you're hungry because you want to know more And sure enough, they saw a crowd. And as they're making their way through the crowd, they hear the voice. And they know this is not just a human voice. Oh, it's a human voice. I mean, it's human vocal cords, but it's something supernatural. It's the voice of God. They just knew. It's the voice of God. The human voice box, they knew. They couldn't see, but they could hear it. And what they're hearing as they make their way through the crowd is not just a fluff sermon. It's not pop psychology. And it's not one, two, and three. What they're hearing is, is meat. It's depth. It's life. It's truth. Oh, they're astonished. God wants you to be astonished when you're in his presence. He wants the gasp effect. (gasps) You're in the presence of God. And they knew that as they were making their way through the crowds, as they were listening. The message they were hearing, it was from God. It was from the supernatural realm. I know, excuse me. I'm so sorry. Pardon me. I know. I just have to get a little closer. You don't understand. It's so important. I'm sorry. I'm on a mission. I know. Excuse me. And finally, there they were at the front of the crowd. And there was Jesus, just a few feet away from them. And they are mesmerized. They can't take their eyes off of him. Yes, it's a human man, but it's God. And he's in the form. He's in the silhouette of a man. It's so obvious. How could anyone question being this close. Oh, they knew, they knew that they knew, that they knew that they knew. And Jesus is, he's he's going on with this powerful, articulate, dynamic, uh, amazing, astonishing message. It has grasped their entire being. And suddenly, almost as though it's orchestrated from heaven, there's a slight break. Was Jesus just swallowing was he just clearing his throat was he just shifting paragraphs in his mind Uh, we don't know but it's a slight break and we need to take advantage of it doesn't matter that the whole crowd is here they're all going to hear our questions but that's okay we're here we're focused we're on a mission we have to ask the questions our our teacher has sent us take advantage of it you better ask him you better ask him now you better ask him you better ask him now you better do it doesn't matter that everyone's listening just do it do it now Jesus uh uh, yes (laughs) um uh, John is our teacher. Yeah, your cousin. He says hi. And um well, he sent us to ask you, uh Jesus, um uh well, uh, our our uh uh How should we put it? Uh, Jesus, are you you know, the one, (laughs) or um, should we look for another? (laughs) There was a stillness that enveloped the crowd that moment. They were on grass, but you still could have heard a pin drop on grass. It was that silent. The surprise element wasn't that they, uh, the, the question was not the surprise element because Those questions were on the minds of each person in the crowd. Yeah, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the Son of God? Are you really who you claim to be? Or should we keep looking? Let us know because we're all wondering that. The whole world is out looking for the Messiah. Are you really him? Should we keep looking? The surprise element was that in someone, the fact that somebody actually dared to articulate the question. They verbalized it. So yeah, how will Jesus answer? I like the way Jesus answered. The question that day didn't irritate him. It it didn't agitate him. It didn't throw him off guard. It didn't make him angry. Jesus welcomed the question. He always welcomes your questions too. He welcomed the question, but I like the way he answered it. He didn't affirm it, but he didn't deny it. He merely said, go tell John the things that you see, present perfect tense again. And go tell John the things that you hear, present perfect tense. He didn't say, go tell about the things you saw, the things you have seen, the things you will hear, the things that you are." You go tell John the things that you see and the things that you hear. Now that kind of response plays with my imagination. And so I want to invite you inside my thinking for just a moment. Could it be as Jesus is giving this response, there's a man sitting right down front who just a few days ago was sitting beside the road outside of the city limits of Jericho who couldn't see a thing and was screaming, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus came up to him. What do you want? Oh, Lord, I want to see. Do you believe that I can do this? Yes, I believe. Begin seeing. The first thing he sees is the face of Jesus. You go tell John. The things that you see and the things that you hear. And 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 while Jesus is explaining that to you, you notice out of your peripheral vision, there's some movement over here. There's a stirring going on. These people are moving. Huh, they're moving with rhythm. They're dancing. I mean, what what? this must be the little charismatic section. What's going on over here, you're wondering? Well, Jesus knows your thoughts. And before you even have a chance to ask, he says, hey, don't be put off by this group over here. Oh, they just love to dance. Whenever they get into my presence, they just have to move. Especially that guy right there doing the hip-hop. Yeah, he's really good, isn't he? You see, whenever we're together, he just has to move. Because it was just one week ago, he couldn't move at all. You see, he was carried in on a mat by four good friends to the roof of a home where I was speaking. They couldn't get in the front door. The place was packed. And people were waiting outside. And these four friends, do you know what they did? Burden barriers. They carried him to the roof. And they scraped. And they pulled until their fingernails had been had come off. Until their skin was, was being pulled from their hands. It was tedious and arduous some painful work, but they finally tore the roof off big enough to lower this guy on a mat in my presence. And guess what? I forgave his sins and I gave his life back and now he just has to dance whenever he's in my presence. So let him dance. Let him move. Let him celebrate. You go tell John what you see. You tell him the blind have 20-20. You go tell him that the lame are now walking. And and, 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 as Jesus is explaining that this, this big guy, big burly guy, is just coming right towards you. Well, what's he gonna do. He's a personal, feeling, touchy guy, and you're just not. And he's invading your personal space. Whoa, is this guy a crowd greeter? I mean, what is it? He's like doing this to everybody, just hugging them and in their personal space. And you want to say, okay, just, just give me about five more inches here. You're in my personal zone. But it's like he doesn't know any better. He just comes in and gives you a big bear hug. And while you're thinking, what is this? I don't understand this and I need a personal space. Jesus begins to explain. And he says, listen, don't be offended by this guy. He, he just needs to hug. You see, it was just two weeks ago. I found him in a leper colony. He had been without human touch for years. Imagine I gave him his life life back. I forgave his sins and he just needs to hug you. He needs to shake your hand and feel that skin. He needs to pat you on the back or put his arm around your shoulders. So let him do that. He needs to be touched. You go tell John the things that you see. You go tell John the things that you hear. What did you hear when you approached? Was it fluff? (laughs) Was it just a feel good message? <laughs> what way? It was supernatural. It was meat. It was depth. It was truth. It was authority. It was from God. You go tell John the things that you hear. and You go tell John the things that you see. The blind have 2020. The lame are moving. They're running. They're dancing. You go tell him that the lepers have been integrated into society. And then you notice they've been staring at you the whole time you've been here. This little group. Maybe five or six of them just, they're just, they're just focused on you. And they won't stop looking at you. And you're thinking, what, what are they, the reporters? Is this going to be in front? Headlines of tomorrow's front page. Are they, what, they got to put this on Facebook? Who are these people? Why are they staring me down? And before you have a chance to ask, Jesus knows your thoughts and He answers your question and He says, Don't be bothered by them. They're intently focused on you because just yesterday they couldn't hear a thing. And I unplugged their ears. And for the first time they heard my voice and their own voice and the voices of their loved ones and their family. And they're watching you so intently because they're learning to speak by what they hear. And they're looking at your lips, how they move every time you say a different word. They're watching your Adam's apple and your vocal cords. They're watching as you swallow your tongue as it moves. They're just staring intently because they're learning how to speak. And so you go tell John the things that you hear and the things that you see. These two disciples can't wait to get back to the teacher. I can imagine that they're running the entire way and I can see John. I can see John with his hands on those bars. Where are they? Where are they? They should be back by now. I wonder if they even saw Jesus. Did they have a chance to ask him? Oh, why they back. Where are they? Maybe they never found him. Maybe they never had a chance to ask him. And then he sees the dust and the sand. And he knows that it's those two. And so he can't help himself. He begins to scream, what did he say? What did he say? What did he say? What did he say? Hurry. What did he say? And those two disciples run right up to the bars. Oh, John. Oh, John. Unbelievable. John, it was amazing. We got to tell you, John, that the poor are getting the very same gospel truth that the rich are getting. There's no difference in rich and in poor. And John, we saw some dead people. He raised them to life the brain waves have stopped their heart had gone he raised them to life John and the deaf people they're hearing and they're learning to talk by hearing and lepers are being hugged and touched and they're integrated into society and lame people John they couldn't move they're running now and dancing and blind people now have 2020 oh John he is the one 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 he is the one and I can just see John in my mind. <gasps> Breathing a sigh of relief and a grin stretches from one ear to the next. I can see him leaning against a wall. Oh, yes. Jesus is the one. He 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 is abundant life. And in that situation in that environment knowing his death was imminent he didn't know when or how but we know because we've read the story in just a couple of weeks John's head will be severed from his body by Herod at a party gone wild John knows his, his death is imminent he doesn't know the details but even there in a damp dark dungeon for over a year John experiences abundant life I get all of you Even though I only have two weeks to live, three weeks, a month, even though death is coming, I have a terminal illness. (laughs) It would have been the same as he was. Even in this, in a damp, dark dungeon, and I don't have much to eat, and my flesh hurts, the rat bites, and the sores, and even here, I get all of you, John, experiencing abundant life in spite of his circumstances. My friends, as we close, I just have to let you know Jesus really is the one. He is the one who can mend a broken heart. He is the one and the only one who can bring victory from addiction. He's the one and he's the only one who can heal a sin-sick life. He's the only one who can make your life worth living. He is abundant life. And so why? Would you settle for good? Knowing about Jesus and enjoying this. It's a great party. When you can actually have better, a growing relationship with Jesus... But many of us stop right here. And instead of stopping there, no. Jesus says, I I have not just come. And I have not just come to give you a life. But I have come to give you life abundantly. Life to the full. This is what Jesus wants you to have. Abundant life. Getting all of God. No matter what your circumstances. Oh God. God, I need you more. I need you more than, than my dungeon. I need you more than my check account, checking account. I need you more than my savings account. I need you more. Jesus, I need you more than my relationships. I need you more with my dreams, my future. I need you more, more than yesterday. I need you more, more than words can say. I need you more than ever before. I need you, Lord. Oh, I need you, Lord. Will you stand, please? Can you relate to that? Does that strike a chord in your heart or your mind? Yes, I've had good. I'm in it right now. Yes, I've experienced better. God has forgiven my sins. But if you're not experiencing abundant life to the max... Power of the Holy Spirit, kindness, goodness, love, forgiveness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what God has for you this morning. We're going to sing that song, I Need You More. And as we do, would you come this morning and say, God, that's what I want. I want the max. I want abundant life, regardless of my dungeon regardless of my house payment, regardless of this marriage or that relationship, I want abundant life. I need you more than all of that. Would you come now as we sing and as we pray?